Welcome to the New Work Revolution podcast on NewWorkRevolution.com. Take your business leadership to the next level and join the revolution. Here's your host, Brandon Allen. All right, so I want to welcome everyone to the New Work Revolution podcast here on NewWorkRevolution.com. This is your host, Brandon Allen, and today I have a guest. I know this is crazy that I actually have a guest. I only do probably a handful of guests uh, every year. So I know that you guys get sick and tired of hearing my voice on a regular basis. So I thought I would switch it up a little bit. And one of the topics that I get a lot in the coaching that we do and the consulting that we do at New Work Revolution is hiring. And especially in today's marketplace where unemployment is really low and it's just, you know, a lot harder to find great team members than it was maybe 10 years ago. Uh, that has become a real hot topic. And so I wanted to be, uh, bring in an expert and I had the opportunity to connect with Rick Crossland. And, and so Rick is here with us and, and he wrote a book on basically A players. And so uh, who better to bring in then uh, than the expert in hiring and developing and building a talent for you uh, than Rick. So Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brandon. Great to share with you today. All right. So Rick, give us some background. How did you get here? You know what? I actually had an executive coach when I was an executive at Ford and uh, his name is Harry Cohen. Harry's still in the business. And I always recalled sitting across from Harry thinking he had the best job in the world. So when I had the opportunity to start my own business, uh, prayed about it, but that's something that uh, uh, 12 years later has uh, definitely been a wonderful experience. And uh, I get to work with um, a lot of mid-market businesses, a lot of 10 million and up businesses, even 5 million and up businesses. And really it's a, you know, really two primary things, growing people and also recruiting top talent, A players. Yeah. So what got you into A players and hiring specifically? What was it that just really drew you to that particular topic? You know what? I would do a lot of team alignment days with the uh, the team and the CEO would always be among the first to arrive. And they always would kind of grab me aside and said, Rick, you know, if, if everybody could leave with these actions, you know, feeling this way with this kind of alignment, it'd be a wonderful day. And I kept hearing this, kept hearing this. That's actually why I wrote the book, The A Player. And around that time as well, kind of, you know, almost over lunch with clients, he'd be like, you know, you're really good at talent. You're really good at talent. Now, obviously, as an executive coach, the idea is to grow, you know, and your best investment of coaching is to take an A to a higher strata, uh, but moving the Bs to an A, and, and in our world, you got to move a C all the way to an A as well, so we can probably come back to that, uh, something your listeners would want to talk about. Everybody needs to be an A on the team. Well, at the same time, I uh, had a client who was growing about 30% a year, and he said, you know, number one thing you can do for me is, can you help me get some good people? And I had placed some people... Uh, with them through my network, but you know, I have a large network, but you know, even that it's limited. And and we started to get really where we would rifle shot for top candidates, right? And that's something I'm going to talk about. We usually bring better candidates to the interview process, fewer of them, but a lot more targeted. And and a lot of times, I, I actually don't recommend you post for too many jobs because I, I know a lot of business owners just get so frustrated, you know, sifting through 200 resumes. Half the people aren't even. Uh, can't even work in the states, and it's just a very frustrating. And and you know, it's it's somewhere about five years ago. Someone's like, well, don't ever let it hold back what job you're applying for. Well, you know what? They really need to hold back because if you're not a VP of marketing, you haven't done it, or you haven't been a director of marketing, please don't apply. 
Gotcha. All right. So for context purposes for the listeners, what is your definition of an A player? What does an A player look like? Yep. Three simple parts there. Uh, one, when, you, when you're talking to a business owner, would you enthusiastically rehire the person? So that is critical. And, and that's a great asset test that we can talk about in a little more detail. So a lot of times people go, oh, yeah, they're really good. I said, would you enthusiastically rehire them? And that operative word enthusiastically really trips them up. And, and we do reference interviews very detailed, and they really ponder the word enthusiastically. And sometimes we have some candidates who are just a little short of enthusiastically. So you would enthusiastically rehire them. You know, conversely, you would cry if they left. Uh, so that's part one. Uh, number two, top 10% in the industry. Now, that's very important because I really do not believe in force ranking a team. I actually think it's inhumane. We want to define what an A player is. If you're in as an A, you're in as an A. You know, we're not really cutting. Now, iron sharpens iron. So the best are going to, you know, really in a very, I believe in co-opetition. You know, they, they want to be number one, you know, whatever the, the metric is. But when, when they're an A, they're an A. You know, we're, we're not looking to force rank them. I don't think that's a good practice. And then the third one is that they actually are role models for your core values. And that is something that is missed a lot. I'm uh, just putting out a new article. And I had a client years ago. I was a top performer at a top software company. This guy had a national reputation. I met six NBA Hall of Famers legitimately that week. And this guy's ego was bigger than the Hall of Famers. <laughs> well, we confirmed two things in the interview. We used a top grading interview. One is the guy was a jerk. We validated that. And or, let me go in order. We validated he was a top performer, but we also validated he was an absolute jerk. In fact, he winked at the female CFO during the interview process. And I went up to the core values, tapped on him. I said, if, if we're going to be congruent at all, you know, what's going on with the core values? And you know, they picked up what I was laying down and we backed away. And then consequently, we heard that candidate got in some trouble. So uh, near miss. But, you know, when people are desperado, they're like, well, you know, he's 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 you know, he's out in Texas. He won't bother anybody. Uh, jerks, jerks and people who don't abide or don't believe in your core values uh, really don't do your organization any good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so hard to remove sometimes as a hiring manager your ego from that situation too because sometimes we think that we can change other people that um that that are sitting across from us and and you know oh they 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 demonstrate these certain uh capabilities or or ways of being but you know i can change that i can fix that and what we realize is it's really hard to change people's values well, absolutely and it's hard to change people's performance and to your point you and i are both professional coaches it is documented, there's a, a current Harvard Business Review article about, you know, people's thoughts that they can actually improve performance within the system. Uh, managers rate themselves much better as coaches than they actually are. Right. And the reason is, among others, they're too close to the situation. The other reason is they're not professionally trained in how to get that performance. Now, you want to get a coaching culture. In fact, you know, current state of the art is coaching is the number one leadership. Uh, level, if you if you will, right? But we're talking like a Mike Shashevsky, John Wooden, a transient type of coach or transcendent type of coach that really knows how to elicit performance. And most of us, the track record simply says, if you've got a B player, you pat them on the head, you leave them as a B, and you're left with basic. So A players are top 10%, B are basic, C are almost your, your corporate cancers. Yeah, absolutely. So 
when you talk with someone about like, you know, let's say you're, you're working with an organization or you're just educating someone on the culture of creating and developing and hiring a talent, where's the first place that you have someone start? If, if they're a business owner listening to this thinking, okay, wh- where do I start with this? Like what, what's the first fundamental thing that you recommend someone do? Mm-hmm. We do what we call an A-player alignment meeting. And it's interesting now, you know, I, I think I could say this on the air. You know, we're in a culture right now where people are getting indoctrinated, right? Regardless of what the views are, right? People are getting indoctrinated. Yeah. Certainly the schools are indoctrinating our youth. And I think a lot about this, right? Because I look at the very transformative changes in the organization. And you know what, Brandon, it might be, you know, they move something 5%, but they get an incredible degree of alignment and the profits flow and all that. You and I could talk about that. And I think about, am I indoctrinating people? And, and I really looked at this and I thought about it, did a lot of reading. And I realized that we're teaching people, we're not indoctrinating, right? So how do we get people so excited about profits and the purpose of profits and, and the purpose of their lives and the purpose of business is because we're teaching them really how capitalism works. And so we teach everybody that, and, and particularly young people. I, I love hiring young talent. It's just amazing because they don't hear this at the schools. Nobody's teaching them about these things. I, I just had one of my interns, he asked what Enron was. You know, we're looking at a CPA candidate, and they had an Enron on their background. And he goes, well, I, I explained to him, and he's either a real sharp Eagle Scout. He goes, well, that maybe explains the gap. Maybe she was in prison. I said, well, was that bad? And they should be teaching in school. But people aren't taught about how business works. And even the business professors, I went to Duke for my MBA, and I hope one day on a podcast, they don't strike down and rescind it. But most people learn a lot more. It's it's not even, everybody learns more at a real job, right? You know, a, a degree from Johnson and Johnson University is a lot more valuable than MBA from Harvard University. I mean, it's just so much higher level what you're doing in the real world. And to coach and elicit that, we define what an A player is, we challenge people. We do have some people who, you know, give you all kinds of different gestures or facial expressions. I had this one since we're not on the air. (laughs) Uh, Actually, no, I get this a lot, actually. I'm just recalling the first time. But it's amazing, even those who might push back that first time, actually down the road, like a light bulb comes on at some point. And really, the cultures we're creating, it's like too pure. It's too good for a B player or C player to really want to be in because they start seeing the excellence. And it's a miserable existence to get up every day as a B or a C when you got people who are living their purpose, you know, just doing the best work of their lives. It's infectious, right? So either they get on or in a lot of cases, this is a very interesting dynamic. People leave on their own accord because yeah. it's just not for them. Yeah, they self-select, right? So Yeah, they self-select. And, and I want to say something to your listeners. I believe everybody should be an A player somewhere. Just maybe not at our shop. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about, because uh, I heard you talk about this before, uh, you know, taking a B, C player to an A player, right? So kind of walk me through that process. Like what what happens when we start to you know, identify a C or a B player on the team, and then we start that process of moving them towards A. Kind of walk us through that. Right. So let me let me walk you through. So all of my clients are working under both an annual and quarterly strategic plan. So 
I like a large tent at those meetings. We'll have as many as 20, sometimes even 25 people. Those are large teams. So you need to know what you're doing as a coach to manage those. A players love strategic planning. Even Bs who want to be As. And I've got all the time in the world for a B who truly wants to be an A, who, you know, stubs their toe, dusts themselves off, gets back up, and is really serious. A lot of people talk a good game, but talks cheap and results priceless. So they'll they'll kind of, you know, there are some that want to fake it, uh, fake, fake their way, you know, stay a B. But, but the ones who really want to be an A love strategic planning. So out of that, everybody has to have real plans, real assignments. A lot of people call these rocks, you know. And what we do is we develop detailed 13 work, uh, work plans. So, uh, so uh, pardon me detailed 13-week executive plans, and we've actually automated that now. I had a, a prospect years ago, a very large uh, poultry company, and he said, hey, I got three top executives. We come look at them and tell me if they're A's, B's, or C's. And I declined the engagement because my point with that is we have to give people real work branded, right? Yeah. The only way to tell is to give somebody a real assignment that's aligned to something important and see how they do. Yeah. And the best people have great plans and great execution. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that because uh, uh, people have, who've listened to this podcast have heard me say this, but uh, Barry Schwartz said that it's not true that you can't get good help these days, but it is true that you can't get good help if the only work you give them is demeaning and soulless, right? And so mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in in having uh, planning and, and something higher level that really allows that person to see what they can do. Now, here's the flip side that I hear from uh, people who tend to sometimes get in a scarcity mindset about uh, people, right? And and I think it's really easy to take someone and look at them as a C and just say, well, you know, they're just a C person and, and they don't care about being a B or an A. So how do you address leaders and their mindset around how they orient towards a poor performer, because a lot of times it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So uh, what, what do you say to a leader who thinks like that? You know, a great question, and we have a simple answer for that or simple solution, which is you can't be an A leader yourself if you're tolerating Bs or Cs on your team. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you see this in, in your organizations, and you have some people who are kind of, you know, protected class, they're related to the owner or something, or somebody made a deal with the devil on why that person's there. But if you look, take a hard look and say, you know, you can't be an A player. And, and I really recommend quarterly bonuses or at least semi-annual because that gives your leadership a huge lever to use. And it makes people excited. I believe in earn, not given. So fair-based salaries, great bonuses. And when their bonus is half of what the A players are because they have not had the courage. Courage is one of those words that everybody can say on an interview. Oh, I got courage. I'm really courageous. I'm a risk taker. But they don't have the guts to tell their people. They don't have the guts to bring in new talent. They don't have the guts for a coaching conversation to move that B or a C or to, to cut the cancer. And maybe uh, one time we alleviated a C. Everybody pitched in. This is in my book. Fantastic story. We, we cut the salary that we eliminated and dispersed it over a 90-day period. So these guys blitzed it for a quarter fixed the problems. Everybody was happy. They ended up with a nice bonus right before Christmas. I'm a big believer in Christmas, but I'm not a believer in Christmas bonuses because they can sound like entitlements. Yeah. Anyway, it just happened to be fourth quarter. It was a seasonal construction business. They were going into their downtime. They all pulled together. They had an amazing result. They did work, you know, 55 hours, 
but they had a lot to show for it. And, and they took that person's salary, they gave half of it to the house and they carved up the other half and everybody was extremely happy. And, you, you know, are you willing to do those kind of creative things to get a much better result? And most yeah. people aren't, right? I mean, I think that's fair to say. Uh, your A-player managers are. And, and it's funny, I'll talk to some CEOs and they just want, they don't want any part. They, they have some guilt from their youth that they got to have their Bs, they got to have their Cs, and they pat them on the head. And they just feel like it's their lot in life. If they're going to get their three A players, they're going to get their six Bs, and they got to tolerate their three Cs. And it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So um, A, leadership. I think this is really important. I've always said, and I've experienced this in my own work in the corporate world, that you can take an A player and you can make them a B or a C player with the wrong leadership and the wrong culture and the wrong environment. And I think the leadership piece is so important to growth. So a leader, an A leader looks like what to lead A players? Like what does an A leader do differently than maybe a B or a C leader? They're very introspective. They have a much higher degree of self-awareness. I was talking to a, a person the other day. They want to come back on a program. And A, this person was telling me how to do my coaching program. And B, they had clear limits on what they would and would not do, right? And my point with that, Brandon, is, and, and you see this a lot, the rules for them are different than the rules for everybody else. And team members not only don't like that, they will run from that. And I think that description of an incongruent leader, uh, you know, because it, it truly shows up as hypocrisy in the workforce, just like I said before with, you know, those saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, I'm an A player, but I got my B's and C's. It's hypocrisy. And people want authentic leadership. And they can stand if you have your human fallibles. But if you, and here's, here's one thing when you're hiring people, if they don't have good weaknesses, I'm going to build a little placard. You know, you can't care too much. You can't be a workaholic. You can't be a neat freak. All those little kind of BS excuses they give. I'm going to go with placard. I've, I've told candidates. My, my humble weaknesses, right? I just care too much, man. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I love that. I, I might incorporate humble weaknesses. Exactly. But, you, you know, even if somebody has a decent size ego, even if they're excited, you know, about what they're doing, they still need to be self-aware of what their fallibles are. I mean, I'm working on a list of like 20 things. And I'm sorry, when I'm talking to three candidates a week, if they can't come up with, you know what, here's my leadership thing. I mean, something that almost brings you to tears. We're kind of talking to the wrong people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So development in the process, right? Like creating something that is a real development plan. I think for a lot of companies, there's really no development there for people to grow or to, or to take that next step. In fact, a lot of people are kind of largely left to their own devices and then told, hey, figure it out. Like, you know, and, and the, the cream will rise to the top, right? It's Darwin-esque. So mm -hmm. how do you, uh, how do you guys go about, like, what does a leader need to keep in mind to develop people? What should be present on a consistent basis for really great development of A players to take place? Well, I'll give you a couple and I'll, I'll start out with a very simple one. The leader needs to be reading at least two books a month. If okay. the leader is not reading two books a month, uh, this may cost us both a little bit of business. I'd say they're a fraud. You know what I mean? You need to be learning ahead of everybody. And 
uh, I'm a member of a competitive book club uh, through the Scaling Up organization, right? I mean, the coaches rank, and there's a lot of coaches in there with over 150 books read, uh, mostly leadership and management books. The best, I, I talked to possibly my best pound for pound candidate. He called me at seven o'clock this morning and we, we chatted for a little bit. And this gentleman always comes with great questions. Rick, how do I do this? How do I do this? He's leading at under 40 years of age, a $65 million company. He's the son-in-law of the, the founder and he is a rock star leader because he asks great questions. And in contrast to that person I just mentioned before, you know, where everything's kind of got parameters boxed, there's deflection, right? This person, and he's, he knows what to work on. That's the, or, or he'll ask and I'll remind him. And, you know, I, I put out a blog on 10 reasons sports teams are better run than most businesses. He came back with an email treatise on what it means to his organization and, and who fit different roles in his organization, all using sports analogy. Now, you don't need to use sports analogy, but it was a, we're going to come back to that and build something out of it because it was so heartfelt. Uh, people love this leader. He's developing people. He, one of his key people is all of 29 years of age, running a big chunk of a $69 million or $65 million company. Brandon, you would not know the age of these gentlemen other than they're youthful looking. I mean, they are so mature in it to win it. There's 13 week executive plans are crisp. They're always pushing and, and, and not just thinking of stuff, executing. Okay. So I love that. And so I'm, I'm, what I'm hearing from you in this is obviously the external factor of bringing someone in and then having that relationship where a coachee is bringing great questions to a coach and working on their development, right? So beyond external measures, internally, I think is where people get really tripped up. So what kind of internal factors or internal uh, methodologies could business owners adopt to help spur this on within their own culture? Oh, a great question. I'm glad you went back to this. So the other thing is, and, and I do think it starts, it starts with some form of leading, me or pardon me, if I could restate that, it starts with some form of learning mechanism. Nothing beats the investment of a $20, $25 book, right? If yeah. you're reading even one of those a month, maybe if you're a junior team member, I'll take one a quarter, right? But something. So my point with that is, a lot of people will make the excuse that there's no development program, but the wisdom of the world is out there. And there's all these great seminal books that are far better than what's in the university. That if you looked at those, you looked at the podcast, podcasts are great. Some kind of leadership curriculum, some kind of developmental curriculum, also technical skills. But most companies have plenty of technical skills. It's really getting about 50% of the balance to leadership, self-development, uh, strategic topics like hiring, development, customer service, those kind of things. So even if you think you're a highly technical firm, and I appreciate highly technical firms, 50% of it needs to be on, I don't even like calling them soft skills, but the managerial skills, the leadership skills. Uh, while I'm on that, I uh, had a chance to, to speak to the great Michael Gerber. We did an interview much like this, uh, oh boy, about six months ago. And, you know, Michael's mantra is every life a legacy, every business a school. And I was on that path before that, but when I talked to Michael E. Gerber in person, it was amazing. We are the schools now. Look at any recent graduate. They know nothing. 
uh, a couple from, from top schools in Ohio, they don't know where San Paulo is. That happens to be in Brazil, right? They don't know geography. They don't know financial accounting. They don't know what different roles of the organization are. You know, they, they might not know. They, here's the thing. I mean, Ohio State graduate, he, up until he worked for me, he didn't know what a corporate controller is. And he was a financial HR guy at school. It's crazy. We're the school. So the quicker you as a business establish your own university, the better off life will become. When you stop realizing that the schools at any level, high school, I, I can make high school uh, kids productive. I can make college students productive. But we're the school. We have to teach them. And we put people on the front lines without proper training. You gotta train like you're the US military, the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines. That's the level. And I really think they should, instead of like giving people credit for school and, and you know, are they gonna alleviate our student student loans? Why don't we give credits to, 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 to companies that actually have curriculum and whether and it's a combination of books, videos. This stuff is all going to learning management systems. Those are becoming very cost effective. You're talking about like 150 per employee per year. Uh, everybody talks a great game about talent. Everybody talks a great game about development. We're woefully short in it. The operations people need to take the lead. Don't wait for your HR people. Now, if you have a rock star HR a player, they'll do this. But in the meantime, if you're the CEO, if you're the COO, general manager, you've got to build the curriculum. Gotcha. Okay. I love that. So as kind of a precursor to this process or this idea, right? Because, you know, for, for a lot of people, they kind of unlock a lifelong learner type of a scenario, but I would argue, uh, and this is based on my own experience, right? I go through school, I get to a, a, a corporate job. I work in this corporate job and really my trajectory is how do I get promoted? Right. And how do I do that? But I, I'm not always thinking outside of the four walls that I work in. Right. It's mm -hmm. sometimes it's like there's a whole world out there. And when I finally tapped into it, when I was in my 30s, I thought, oh, my God, look at all this stuff that's out here. Like, who knew that these people existed? And, you know, it was like a whole new world was opened up to me. Right. And so, you know, I think sometimes it's a, it's a matter of just letting people see what is on the other side of of their edu their so-called education and, and letting them know what's next. But how do you, you know, I feel like for a lot of leaders, there's a lack of empathy because, you know, especially a, an entrepreneurial business owner, maybe not so much a corporate type always, but an entrepreneurial business owner is kind of used to bootstrapping and being resourceful and coming up with ideas and strategies and planning. They tend to lack a little bit of empathy for the person who comes out of school and, and maybe has a fixed mindset maybe uh, has a lot of layers of fear and doubt and insecurity and limiting beliefs that are holding them back. And they struggle with even, you know, tapping into that piece. But because to me, if I don't believe that I'm good enough to invest in my own learning and education, or I don't believe that growth is possible, I mean, I could throw a hundred books at you. You won't, you won't open any of them. You won't look at them. And that may be an employee that doesn't stay long with my company, but you know, how do you, how do you get in a, a, a leader? What would you suggest to a leader who really struggles with putting themselves in that kind of a person's shoes in the first place and seeing the world from their perspective and then meeting them where they're at? Mm -hmm. One of the things that struck me, Brandon, I was fairly well read when I was an executive at Limited Brands, Bath and Body Works, Ford Motor, is when, and I've been on my own for 12 years, 
I have been struck with the types of people who hire me are lifelong learners. Yeah. I have to be very deliberate to read more and read the latest and greatest ahead of my client base. Sometimes I'll see a book on their desk. I'll very quietly note it and read it before they do. We just need to be a step ahead of them. Likewise, and so my point is the right type of, of people listening to this podcast who get it are lifelong learners. It's not what you know, it's can you learn? And if you are congruent in that and you're reading yourself, those are the kind of people you'll attract to the organization. It might be the first exposure. And candidly, in the interview process, and I think you probably want to talk about that, we position all of this that you're going to learn. And for young people, we say, you know nothing. Uh, welcome to XYZ Company University. And every single one of my clients is building universities. It is the X factor to beat the competition, uh, particularly in 2019, where there's essentially no talent out there. Uh, we have to develop it. You have to take people in adjacent industries and be able to get them up to speed in like three months, mm -hmm. three to six months. And if you're legitimate and genuine with that, you'll get the right type of people. And then you have to build structures that they actually know you're serious, you know, do book studies. Most of my clients have paid book programs. I know I, I'm sound like I'm pushing books here, but I just love books because you can, you can, you ought to be able to look at a book and monetize it for $20,000 at a minimum, maybe more, right? Every book you read should be about a $20,000 kicker and your team can't read en enough. So we have people paying a hundred dollars, maybe a little bit more than that for reading books, or we do book studies together or on the quarterly. And this is a big Rockefeller habits principle is that you do shared learning. So we have everybody on the same page. Teams feel great about that when they all come into the quarterly plan and we do an hour of breakdown training application on something that we've all taken. Now, I mentioned books, but it could do be a video study. It could be all that. The key is for the leader to build a canon, to, to, to build a curriculum of this. It could be a spreadsheet. You, you know, it could be a place on your webpage where your resource. In fact, you can share it with your competition because your competition won't do it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So let's get into some uh, a final kind of area to cover here. Let's interview tips. So mm -hmm. um, what kind of, what, what are your best tips, ideas, thought processes for a leader to be a better gatherer of information and awesome. an uncover of, of information? Yeah. And I'm just going to pull up a, a quick, I, I'm actually presenting on this on Friday. So uh, our timing is wonderful on this. So I'm just pulling this up to organize my thoughts. So as a transition period here, one of the things uh, is the pre-work, right? So you need to do the pre-work. So what's involved with the pre-work in here? First of all, a detailed job specification. You should not, and you should penalize anybody on your team who, does, who goes out and, and tries to post something or tries to recruit somebody from their church or synagogue or whatever. I do like referrals, but we're gonna vet the heck out of them without a detailed job spec. Because if we don't know what we're looking for, uh, we don't know what we get. And I don't know, why people think they can get away with this. This is this right. is a very unsafe practice. Let me just put it that way. Yeah. We're totally free ant lancing. We're, we're like doing a tightrope act without a, a safety harness. It, it's bizarre that they do this. And then what happens, you spin and spin and spin. You bring in a reasonable candidate. Somebody thinks they look, they're looking for something else. It's awful. So you, step one, detailed job specification. We take that a step further. We do what we call a search intake form. What do we want? What do we don't want? Maybe there's competitors we shouldn't go after. 
uh, types of industries we don't like, et cetera, who do we like? So we do a detailed spec form that really speeds that up. Here is the linkage from everything we talked about the front half of the interview till now, and it's called an A-player agreement. Best practice is to draft your A-player agreement. It's a little different than your job spec that the spec basically has, you know, what kind of degree and all that kind of stuff. The A-player agreement is the operating system for how to get an A in the job. So, and I wanted to actually mention this earlier, but we're talking about a lot of good stuff. The A-player agreement, and think about those managers, right? If I want to give somebody an assignment that makes them quake in their boots, I say, hey, write this A-player agreement that has one to five key thrusts in a role. Really, it's three to five key thrusts in the role by weekly, or pardon me, by daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, what the job is, and metricize it. I want as many numbers as possible on each one of those. People like look at it, and, and candidly, if we have to cut the ranks a little bit, we look at the people who didn't do the A-player agreements for their team. You have to do it for your team. You really can't write your own A-player agreement. I'll help the CEO write theirs, but most people are too lenient. And my, my point with that is they don't really know the job of their people. When they know the job of the people, and by the way, the Bs and the As go, thank goodness, somebody knows what's going on, and I'll do that, or I'll work to do that, and they get a heck of a lot better. Mm -hmm. So we want the A-player agreement ideally before the interview. Okay. Yeah. Good so far? Yep. You need to have a defined interview process. It needs to be spec down on paper. You need to train to it. So we talked a lot about learning. Training is part of that as well. So we need a playbook on how to do this. So uh, we have an interview process that, that's actually laid out. And what we typically do is if you're using a recruiter, a recruiter should pre-screen. If you're doing your own recruiting, that's fine. Do a telephone interview first. Make sure the resume is correct. Don't bring anybody in where the resume won't work. For whatever reason, people bring people in and the resume doesn't work. I scratch my head. I don't know why they do that. Okay. Once you do that, we use a process called top grading. Top grading is a, is a behavioral-based interview on steroids. Uh, if you want more information on that, Brad Smart wrote the book, Top Grading. And what top grading means is you hear about, hey, I'm going to upgrade my talent. Well, top grading means everybody gets to be an A, meaning gets up to be an A. Doesn't mean everybody can be an A, right? But we are striving all the time and we're like a sports team. If if Aaron Rodgers is available to our you know to be our quarterback on um, you know, I don't know who the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals is, right? And that's the point, right? If it Aaron was Rodgers Dalton, but I don't know if that's still true. Yeah, exactly. But if Aaron Rodgers is available, right, the GM of the Cincinnati Bengals would be fired if, if Aaron Rodgers was available and he didn't take advantage of that. That's the kind of, of, of view for talent. So we want to upgrade it. And, uh, you, you know, we're always looking for better. And you might have a perfectly, I mean, you might have a B player you're tolerating. You shouldn't really tolerate a B. If an A player is available for similar salary, first thing is you give somebody a warning shot. Hey, who do you have lunch with? Oh, this wonderful A player from our competitor. Yeah, are you trying to tell me something? Yeah, I've been trying to tell you what I've been telling you the last six months, that this needs to happen. Are you serious about upgrading? Now, the cultures we're talking about, they should know we're already serious. We're going to get the best team money can buy. We have a salary cap. We're going to fill it with the best people because the best way to profit is better people. Yeah. And ideally, fewer better people. And we can come back to that. Yeah. Okay. So we have our process to find. We use top grading. We send the candidate a portal. It's going to take, uh, and by the way, I do this with junior people as well, but it's going to take a mid-level person, probably about an hour, hour and a half to propagate that. 
resumes lie and they don't have the shortcomings. It's it's a one-way street. It's only at the good points on the resume. Yeah. We want to know where the soft spots are too, you know, where they make mistakes. So that is a ticket for the interview. If it's weak, we sometimes send them back. We have a lot of candidates. We just sift out the weak ones. And it is amazing. And I know your listeners are going to say, well, my candidates wouldn't do that. I don't have enough candidates. You know, what if they don't fill it out? If they don't fill it out, they probably wouldn't be good for your team anyway. The A players, you got to be able to guarantee to the A player that they're not going to work with too many Bs. I mean, I understand that some Bs are going to be floating around your organizations or in transition, but if they know they can work with top people, you'll get these top grading forms back. If you don't want to use top grading, then you need to build a portal or some kind of intake to get this. In Ohio, uh, you're in Salt Lake City, correct? Yep. We can still ask salary. If you can ask salary and it's, it's already on our top grading form, by all means, please get it. That rule that's in Massachusetts, California, Illinois, and New York is by well-intentioned politicians who've never really hired anybody in the open market. And if you know where somebody is, you can make them a very fair offer. It's all relative to them. And I don't care the gender or whatever. We give people good offers that are, you know, strong, compelling offers that they say yes to. I think we're doing our job to help people. Uh, so anyway, we get the salary information. By the way, with that, and we also get a graph, it shows how long they've been at different jobs. If you look in at a resume, and I look at a lot of resumes, it's easy to, you know, you kind of gloss over they've only been somewhere eight months. Never hire a hoppy candidate. If they're young and hoppy, we call them frogs. You know, and that's what the millennials are getting into. Every place is a year and a half. Well, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get a year and a half. So we get all that data. We sit down. We actually start in high school and ask about their high points and low points. We ask about their college selection, and we ask about every single job in detail. Now, those first jobs, if it was 20 years ago, we'll go a little bit quicker. But people, your A player, their career makes longitudinal sense. You know, there's a method to the matter. They can even pivot and make a little bit of a change. But it makes sense, either through their schooling or a great opportunity came along. They pivoted, you know, engineers into computer science. You see that all the time. It makes sense. And you're looking for people who have contributed, meaning here's the key question. What results have you learned? What results do you produce? Now, you'll hear a lot of people, well, I learned about this. I learned about this. I don't care at this point what you learned. I want to know bottom line results. Everybody should have bottom line results. If you're an engineer, you're taking costs, you're adding quality to a system. If you're in customer service, there ought to be a customer service metric. If you're in sales, there's a quota attainment, right? And we get to that level of detail. We catch people in fibs occasionally because we'll sometimes check references right in the middle of the interview. Mm. Let me get to the interview. We have this data ahead of time. I usually don't look at the resume too much, except there might be some early jobs on there. Uh, we have GPA, we have all the salary history, we've got it all. Uh, we have tenure and job, and we have manager ratings in that as well. So we're loaded for bear. We do it as a team. I recommend you get somebody on your team who's really good at interviewing or get somebody from the outside to do it. I, I do a lot of outside interviews for my clients, and I'm the tour guide through that. Uh, by the way, this is, this is a more intense interview. It could be two, three hours, and we have all the decision makers in the room. Now, think about it as a candidate here, right? If you're an A player, you're looking at your future team. And even though I'm usually leading the interview, you know, have a lead person, others are adding great questions. And my best teams add the best questions. 
and they're digging in deep. And it might be something technical that I don't know. My job is to put something in the water, good or bad, and let them adapt, you know, let them jump onto it. So if I'm asking a little bit about, you know, maybe a technical IT sale, they know a lot more about that than I. They're going to ask some specifics. If someone's fibbing about that or outright lying, we're going to catch on to it. Somebody claimed a $6 million quota attainment. We found out that two of the deals were already in the market before they joined the company. This stuff happens all the time. We get to the end. And and one of the things is do not ask hypothetical questions. Don't ask how you feel about something. Don't don't ask anything. Don't ask, you you know, what do you feel about this software versus that? It's got to be actual usage. It's got to be because the B player loves those questions because they can fake them, right? It's their opinion. It's their time to opine, and then they'll just go off. And they sound impressive, but they're looking. They were a spectator to somebody else's results. And oftentimes, people are taught, "Well, we did this, we did this," and we'll say, "Well, Joe, that's great. Rules of the game here. We get the royal we. Now, what did you do as part of that team?" I don't care if the person was just such a great manager; they just hired great. That's a result. You know, I want to know what they did, and then we'll dig into specifically how they contributed. And that's where the Bs fall apart. The A's can go chapter and verse. An A player in this process, it's interesting. Three hours go by, and you're, and you're talking to your new best friend. Here's the thing. You need to go home and be so excited you're going to tell your significant other about this great candidate who you have the opportunity to join your team. Yeah, love it. The Bs, you check the box. The Cs, candidly, we have a safe word. Okay. Got it. All right. Perfect. All right. So practice the safe word because there's no reason to go through a three-hour interview with the bad candidate. Seriously, use the safe word. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. So, all right. Awesome. Okay. So, Rick, um, any final thoughts? I love that process, you know, going through hiring. That's so helpful. Any final thoughts? Uh, anything that we didn't talk about that we should have? I'm sure there is. I mean, I guess in final thoughts is don't tolerate B players. A uh, simple thing you could do, little shameless plug, read the A player and define what an A player is in your organization hmm. and align your team on that and challenge them and, and don't let people off the hook. You know, sometimes what we'll do, by the way, is this is kind of politically correct. We'll go, well, you're a non-A player, you, you know, and that means, or, or you know, even better, Hey, we need to get you to be a B, an A player, right? So yeah. that is just kind of friendly languaging. And sometimes, are you calling me a B? Well, you're not an A, right? So yeah. the biggest issue is you're not an A. And, you know, here's what I need from you. So coaching language is, I need you here. Yeah. Right? Another coaching language, what's your plan? Yeah, absolutely. Both business and your own development. Yeah, put them in the driver's seat. I love that. All right. So Rick, how do, uh, how do my listeners learn more about what you're doing? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty easily found Rick Crossland, C-R-O-S-S-L-A-N-D at a player advantage. Uh, so aplayeradvantage.com is my website. I'm Rick at a player advantage. And, uh, you know, we just love to help growing businesses and, uh, we're passionate about a players. And if you're serious about, you know, not only having a more profitable, but really, you know, businesses, profits are important, right? But purpose is even more important, right? And most people want a business that they just love to go into every day because really entrepreneurism and the freedom we enjoy in this country, it's the most powerful two forces ever known to mankind. And, you know, when you have those A players, just people you love to be around, 
then you get a force multiplier. And, you know, the people you're around propagate. So if you're around A players, they're going to propagate. If you're surrounding yourself with Bs and Cs. And, you know, one final uh, really exaltation is, you know, in most cases, look in the mirror. You're doing stuff as a leader that's not attracting as many A players. And, and that could be painful. The quicker we get real with what our shortcomings and our own leadership development needs to be, the more quickly we'll attract A players. Yeah, I love it. All right, so guys, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, right? That's the African proverb, and we need people to be able to do that. And so the competitive advantage that you have is the people that exist within the four walls of your business, the ideas that they bring to the table, their ability to connect, their ability to communicate, their ability to get things done and execute, and to do so in a team environment that uh, brings out the best of what you have to offer to the marketplace. And so developing, acquiring, retaining talent is such a huge skill in business development and our growth for next steps in business. Uh, take Rick's words to heart. Check out the book. Check him out online. And I want to thank you guys for listening this week. If you found the show helpful, which it will hurt my feelings if you didn't, then please share it on social media, check it out on iTunes and other podcast venues. And uh, hey, drop me a line as well at newworkrevolution.com and let me know you enjoyed it. So I want to thank you guys for listening. Rick, thank you for being on the podcast. Brandon, it was my pleasure. You're a great interviewer. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And guys, we will be in touch again with a new episode soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the New Work Revolution podcast on newworkrevolution.com. Until next time, take your business leadership to the next level and join the revolution.